Well, hey, good morning, everybody. My name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here and excited to open up God's Word with you this morning. You guys were having fun with that last song, right? Uh, so actually, it's a good transition into the text we're going to be looking at today. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, if you have a Bible and want to open it up and follow along. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. Appreciate that, Steve. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 27 is where we'll start. Uh, before we get there, there's a book that I've been reading that uh, has a story that's in the beginning part that I thought I would share as we start. It's the book called Dune. Here's a picture of the cover of actually the, the movie that is coming out. How many of you have read Dune before? It's a pretty popular book. Handful of hands. How many of you cheated and you've seen the movie? Okay, more cheaters then. <laughs> Same thing with the other service, more, more cheaters. That's fine. I'm a little old-fashioned. I haven't seen the movie, so if the movie's good, it's bad. I don't know. Uh, John's in the back there. We were talking about this. He's a big Dune fan up in the, the bat cave there, as I call it. Uh, so anyway, the book is about this boy named Paul. And so that's him at the top there, the, the largest figure on the screen there. His name is Paul. It was a novel written in the 60s, and it's, it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of like Star Wars in the sense that people are able to travel between different planets. There's other intelligent beings that aren't, you know, they're not quite human, but they're not animal or whatever, so there's this interaction going on and things like that. And Paul and his family have been awarded the stewardship of a planet called Arrakis. Now, Arrakis is not a very hospitable planet to other people. It's, it's, I mean, the name of the song of the movie is Dune. You can see the sand there. It's, it's a planet that's full of sand. It has intense heat. Water is a very precious resource. There's very little water on this planet. And oh, there's something else about it. What was it? Oh, there's giant sandworms that live under the, the sand. And so they're large enough they can come up and swallow your entire house. I mean, besides that, it's great. But, but it's, it's, it's not a very inhabitable planet. It's not very friendly to people that, that live there. However, everybody in the galaxy or the universe here wants to lay claim to this planet, not because it's a great vacation spot, but because on this planet, it's the only known planet in which you can grow a special spice. It's it's a spice that has magical powers. We won't get into what the spice does because it's besides the point of the message today. But, But this spice is, I mean, it can make you extremely rich if you were able to lay claim to this planet and harvest it and then sell it to, you know, other people on, on different planets. So everybody wants a piece of this planet, but Paul and his family have been awarded the stewardship of this planet. And there's certain people that believe that Paul is like some sort of Messiah that's able to say, because he has certain disciplines and gifts and, and proclensities, that, that he will be able to save this planet in some way and, and deliver the inhabitants who are really just enslaved by whoever comes in and wants to rule the planet and profit on it in some way. So he's viewed as some kind of Messiah, mostly by his mom. All right, most of us, our mothers, think that we're going to do something great. So Lady Jessica is his mother. She thinks that he may be some sort of Messiah that can save this planet. And so from boyhood, he has been trained in various disciplines, trained in warfare, trained in being able to read people. He has this uh, acute gift where he can look at someone and tell if they're lying or he can tell what they're thinking in some cases. He, he has these gifts, these disciplines that he's mastered. So maybe he's the one that can deliver the planet and the inhabitants of this planet. But before he goes to live on Arrakis, he is visited by this mysterious woman. She is known as the Reverend Lady, or sorry, the Reverend Mother. And she just comes to visit him. She pulls him aside in a room by herself. So it's just him and this mysterious woman. And she pulls out a box and places it on the table, and she bids Paul to come closer to her. And she shows him this box. Okay, this is the film. Again, I haven't seen the movie. There's a couple movies being done, but this is how one uh, of the, the films portrays the box. Now, the interesting thing about this box is you can look and see the box, but you can't see what's in. Even if you were to shine a flashlight inside there, the, 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 the door of the box just kind of blocks out all light. It's like a black hole inside of there. You can't see what's, what's going on inside of there. 
And so the woman bids Paul to come over, and she says, place your hand inside the box. And Paul asks the question that you and I would ask, what's in the box (laughs) before I stick my hand in this thing? And the lady says, pain. Pain is in the box. So against his better judgment, Paul does place his hand inside of the box. And at first he doesn't feel any sensation. It feels just as plain and simple as, as my hand laying on this uh, on a bar stool, whatever this thing is. He, he places his hand inside of the box and he doesn't feel any sensation. And the woman tells him before any experiment, before the test begins, she says, your instinct will be to withdraw your hand from the box. And what she's getting at is that all of us have this self-preservation within us, right? We, we all have this, this instinct within us that if we feel pain, if we feel discomfort, we, if we feel unease, we want to immediately get rid of the pain, get rid of the discomfort, get rid of the, the unease. If, if you touch a hot burner, you're, you, you know, you're not even going to think about it. You're going to want to withdraw your hand. Most of you are adults. Hopefully you've learned that by now, right? You don't stick your fingers in sockets anymore. You, you want to withdraw your hand from the pain. Well, maybe we have one person that maybe still would do that, right? So I didn't mean to embarrass you, I'm sorry. <laughs> you did. So, so the, the, the instinct will be to withdraw your hand from the pain, to stop the pain at all costs and preserve myself, preserve my limb, preserve my hand, whatever the case may be. But she wants to test his self-control. She wants to test his impulses. Because if Paul cannot withstand pain in his hands, he's never going to withstand life on Arrakis. If Paul cannot keep his hand in a box for four minutes, there's no way he's going to be able to keep himself on Arrakis. He's going to want out of there real quick. If Paul cannot rule his mind when there's no long-term effects to this pain, there's no way, no way he's going to be able to rule and reign on this planet called Arrakis and help these people that are inhabitants. The pain he's about to experience inside of this, this, this box that this lady has brought, this is actually preparing him to become who he needs to be if he's going to rule and reign on Arrakis. So back to the box. He places his hand inside, and at first he just feels an itching sensation. There's a piece of him that wants to pull his hand out real quick and just kind of scratch his hand like, is something nibbling at me? What's, what's going on with my hand, right? He, but he leaves it in there, and then after just a few moments, the itching turns into a heat, and then the heat intensifies. It's getting warmer, and then he begins to experience sharp pain shooting. It, it feels like his, his fingers and, and his, his, his uh, knuckles and his, his palm, the top of his hand, that he's starting to feel intense pain shooting throughout his hand. And everything inside of him wants to yank his hand out of that box, just like I would, just like you would, but he keeps it in there. And, and, and the lady says an animal would not be able to do this. An animal lives by instinct only and cannot control its body. But I'm going to see if you can. So he keeps his hand in there, and eventually the pain gets worse. He begins to feel, it feels as if his flesh is melting off. I won't go into any more details, but, but the pain is very intense. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the pain stops, and his hand feels normal again. And this mysterious woman says, take your hand out of the box. And this time he doesn't want to. Well, what's his hand look like? <laughs> but he does eventually slowly pull it out. He's expecting to see it blackened or, or, or mangled flesh on his hand, but he pulls it out and it looks perfectly fine. The box is able to manipulate your nerves in such a way that you can feel things that aren't really happening, and then it goes away. The moral of the story is, once again, in order for Paul to be able to do something great on this planet, Arrakis, he has to do something great in his mind first. In order for him to do anything great on Arrakis, he has to be able to endure suffering, at least for a short amount of time, to prove himself. And I share this story with you because we're going to read about some of the famous words of Jesus. 
I guess all of the words that he wrote recorded are famous. But, but he's gonna, we're going to read about some of the famous words of Jesus in which he explains that in order to follow him, he's inviting you to follow him not just in his teachings, but to follow in his lifestyle. Jesus lived out the gospel, and the gospel is the good news of Jesus, that he lived a godly life, that he suffered, that he died, and then he resurrected. And as much as we want to skip to the resurrection part, he's going to tell us in this text that an invitation to follow him is to follow in his steps, which also includes hardship. And it's going to, I mean, all of us experience hardship, right? Life is hard for everybody. For some of you, life is hard. Others of you, life is terribly hard, and the rest of us are somewhere in the middle. Life is hard for everybody, but there's a certain kind of suffering that we endure when we give our lives to Jesus and follow in his footsteps. There's there's a certain kind of suffering that because a direct uh, uh, connection with our faith in Jesus causes us to have to endure hardship on this planet. And this is a part of the invitation to follow Jesus. Now, the Bible makes this very clear elsewhere. This text doesn't stand out as, uh, as, as a strange text. Jesus told us this what happened. Look at John 15. Remember what I told you, he says. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. John 16. In this world, you will, not might, not could, not should, but you will have trouble. The first followers of Jesus suffered hardship as well because of their faith. Acts 14. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. 2 Corinthians 4, we always carry about in our body the death of Jesus. 1 Timothy 3, do not be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. We've also been told by those who write the Bible that if we follow in Jesus' footsteps, then we will also follow in the suffering, not the exact same kind, but we will follow in suffering just like he did. 2 Timothy 2, join with me in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Furthermore, we're told why we have to suffer in this life. 1 Peter 2, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Once again, we're not just following his teaching, but what he endured on this planet. We follow that lifestyle. He was resurrected and glorified, and we will one day be resurrected and glorified, but it comes after all these things. 1 Peter 4, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. When you suffer because of your faith, Christ is suffering with you so that you will be overjoyed when the glory is revealed. The call to follow Jesus is not a call to live on Sesame Street. There's no Big Bird, there's no Dorothy, there's no Elmo. It's, it's, it's about to get real, as Jesus is explaining to his followers. It's a call to suffer as he suffered before you can be resurrected and glorified with him. It's a call to stick your hand in the box. And what Jesus is going to make abundantly clear in this text, he's going to make it very clear in this text, he's going to speak plainly, that following Jesus means following him in suffering. And he's going to give us an invitation. There's two invitations here. The first is that you can either suffer now in this life and then be glorified later with him in the kingdom of heaven, or you can live a life of comfort and ease now, but you will be ashamed when you look into his eyes in eternity. It's either glory now, or, uh, sorry, it's either suffering now and glory later, or it's comfort now and shame later. That is the choice he's going to give us in this text. So let's start reading in verse number 27, Mark 8 and verse number 27. Jesus and his disciples went to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, maybe one of the prophets. Jesus says, okay, well, what, what, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter's one of the disciples. He speaks up first. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. 
He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, by the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Look at this. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, merely human concerns. And then he called the whole crowd to him along with the disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And by the way, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. There's a lot happening in that text. I'm going to go back up to the very beginning, to verse 27, and we're going to slowly walk through this. And once again, we're going to see that Jesus is inviting us to a life of following him. And we can either follow him in such a way that we endure suffering with him and are glorified with him later, or a life of comfort now, but then we will be ashamed in his presence one day if we choose that. So look back at verse number 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? I kind of wanted to ask this question at one point. So this last week I was on a walk. We were walking our dog and I was with my son, Iron. And so I asked my son, Iron, he's nine years old. He's in third grade. I said, hey, buddy, when your friends talk about me, who do they say I am? What do your friends say about me? And he informed me that his friends don't talk about me. <laughs> nobody, nobody talks about me. Uh, in fact, in, in like manner, the week before, I was with a friend of mine. He's also a pastor up in Wisconsin. And he said, hey, Nick, so I'm, I'm being asked every now and then to uh, travel and speak at these seminars and these conferences and things like that. And I'm just curious, when people call you, what do you charge? I'm never sure what to, call, what to, what to charge. And I looked at him and I said, man, people don't call me. <laughs> what do you, what do you t- I don't have a rate. What do you, what do you crave? Who do you think I am? People don't, nobody calls me to come and speak. I don't know what your rate should be. You know, so we had, this, we had this kind of dialogue. But, um, so you're welcome to try this out, but be prepared that people probably don't talk about you. <laughs> However, Jesus was gaining popularity. And he was becoming popular, and people were beginning to talk about him. How is he doing these things? Is he some kind of prophet? Is he Elijah resurrected? Is he, is he like John the Baptist and something? I mean, who is this guy? How is he doing this? And he asked his disciples, who do you guys, when you guys talk and I'm away, who do you say that I am? And Peter's the one that pipes up. He's always the one that pipes up, right? So Peter pipes up, and this is what he says. He says, you are the Messiah. Now, many of us in this room have heard that word before, that word Messiah. And whatever, you know, there's some kind of picture that comes to your mind when you hear the word Messiah. It's probably not the same idea that the disciples had when they said it. Here's a picture of probably what they were looking at. Some kind of heavenly being, some kind of a figure that's going to come from God and he's going to hold the world in his hand and, and rule with a rod of iron, right? So when they thought of the Messiah, they thought, this is this figure coming from God. He's going to fight Israel's enemies. He may even slay the Roman emperor. He's going to drive out the Gentiles and purify the land. Messiahs don't suffer. Messiahs win. Messiahs triumph. Messiahs are successful. And therefore, if we follow the Messiah, we will win. We will triumph. We're not going to suffer. That's not what Messiah Messiahs do. This is who you are. And Jesus doesn't say he's wrong, but he also doesn't indicate that he's right. Here's what Jesus responds with in verse 30. Jesus warns them, okay, don't tell anybody you just said that. Don't tell anybody I'm the Messiah. You're not wrong, but you're not fully right either. In fact, when you talk about me, I'd rather you not call me Messiah. I'd rather you call me 
the Son of Man, because that's going to give you the better picture. You don't have the full picture. Do you really understand why we're going to Jerusalem? I feel like I need to unpack this a little further. Here's what he says. He began to teach them, after Peter's confession that you're the Messiah, he began to teach them a little more fully about what his mission includes. That specifically, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. I'm in verse 31. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Okay, time out. This doesn't, this doesn't fit in the picture. This isn't what I imagined. I had that picture on the screen when I thought of Messiah. Messiahs win. They triumph. They, they succeed. And your followers are going to win and triumph and succeed. We, we don't suffer. This doesn't make any sense to me, right? Well, maybe he's using a parable. I mean, Jesus is always talking in parables, right? Maybe this is a story. I wonder what three days mean. There must be some kind of like cryptic prophecy language to this. I wonder what he means. But look at what happens in verse 32. Jesus spoke plainly about this. In other words, there's no parable. You know, Jesus does the parable of the sower and the parable of the steward and the parable. You know, these aren't real people. It's like a movie. Nobody really gets hurt. But Jesus speaks very plainly. There's no meaning to three days. The death is not figurative. This is not cryptic. This is not a parable. This is not a story. People will get hurt in this story. He spoke very plainly. I will be rejected and I will suffer and I will die and I will resurrect. And what he's going to add in a minute is, if you follow me, this is also what will happen to you in similar fashion. If you want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, you will suffer. This world is not hospitable to the values of Christianity. It is not. It is not. Look at what Peter says. This is something that he wrote years later. Okay, this is a a letter from him, 1 Peter 4, that he wrote after Jesus had died and resurrected, and, and Peter is now a pastor. And here's what he wrote. Dear friends, do not be surprised. You can be angry or you can be whatever you want, but don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal, interesting language there, that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What did you think would happen when you stuck your hand in the box, right? But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. When you suffer for the name of Jesus, you suffer with Christ. You participate in his sufferings so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now listen, some of you are teachers. You teach at Milton Hershey School. You teach at Lower Dolphin or, or whatever, the, or, or Central Dolphin, right? Is it Central Dolphin? Or, okay, Swatera or something like that. Uh, you, you teach at different schools, and there will come a day, if it not, has not already come, that you are going to be asked to teach something that conflicts directly with your faith. And you're going to have to choose. Am I going to do what my superiors tell me I'm supposed to teach, or am I going to go against that? It, there, there's going to come a day when what you do in your workplace will come in direct conflict with your faith in Jesus. And you're going to be frustrated, and you can go ahead and be frustrated, but don't be surprised. Be frustrated, but don't be surprised. Some of you are students, and you live daily wedged between your faith in Jesus and the beliefs of your classmates. And as soon as your classmates find out that you're a Christian, you will be bullied for it. I'm not saying that's okay and that you should endure that and not say anything. I'm just saying that this, this is the kind of thing that happens for those who follow Jesus. And you will be discouraged. You can be discouraged. Don't be surprised. This is what happens to followers of Jesus. Some of you are parents or grandparents. You will encounter a day when your kids will be taught uh, different kinds of worldly philosophies in the school, and you will be angry. Go ahead and be angry. Don't be surprised. Some of you are business owners. You are managers at your workplace. You are supervisors, and you work in a workplace where one of these days, if it has not already happened, 
You will be asked to accommodate someone or to make a decision that is in direct conflict with your faith. And maybe your job will be on the line. Maybe your pay will be on the line. Maybe some uh, upgrade in, 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 in your status will be on the line. Maybe your business will be on the line. I don't know what will happen, but you will be stressed. And go ahead and be stressed. Don't be surprised. Peter says, whatever you do, don't be surprised as if something strange is happening to you. Some of you have lots of friendships on social media. And one of these days, you're going to post something about your faith. You're going to post something about your love for God, your love for this book. And it's going to have all kinds of backlash, all the comments, people unfriending you. People are going to screenshot you and report you to Facebook or whatever the case is. And you're going to think, what in the world happened? You can be confused, but don't be surprised. Peter says, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that has come on you to test you. Don't act as if something strange is happening. If you follow Jesus, you will follow in the suffering that he endured before you can follow in the resurrection and glory that he endured. In fact, the Bible only gives us one thing when it comes to suffering as a Christian. There's only one thing that we're allowed to be surprised about is if we're not suffering at all. If you're living the Christian life and you're thinking, I'm not suffering at all. This is great. I live in comfort and ease. You should be very surprised. And it might be worth asking, am I doing this right? (laughs) Because all these texts in the New Testament tell us this will happen if you live a life, a godly life in Christ Jesus. You will suffer hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is a picture of Peter, the one who wrote that. I, I like this sketch. Well, it's not a picture. They didn't do that back then, right? But this is a sketch of him. He's, he's got gray hair. I like this picture because he's obviously older. He's more mature. This has happened years after he actually walked physically with Jesus. And maybe this is around the time, uh, the sketch, when, when he would have written this letter because he's matured a lot since those days with Jesus. Because I want us to go back to this text. Let's go back to the text in Mark chapter 8. When Jesus just revealed that he will suffer, the Messiah will suffer, Verse 32, he spoke very plainly about this, and Peter did not like it. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He does not like this idea. No, what are you saying? Messiahs don't suffer. Messiahs win. We're not going to suffer. We're going we're to win. You see this come up later when, when the guards come to take Jesus away for trial. He pulls a sword out. This is not how it's supposed to go. We've we got to stop this. We've got to fight. I'm, I'm with the Messiah. We're going to win. He, 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 didn't quite, he didn't quite see it. Interestingly, three times... Throughout the book of Mark, Jesus brings up that he will die and suffer and then resurrect in three days, three times. So the, the book of Mark, in fact, all the books of the Bible, they're not just, somebody didn't just grab a quill and start writing stuff randomly. I mean, this, this was very thoughtful in how it was produced and, and, and when stories were chosen to go where. In Mark, there are three times where Jesus very plainly and clearly spells out that he will suffer and be rejected and die and then resurrect. And in all three of those stories, the disciples don't get it. They misinterpret it. They don't quite understand well, maybe he meant this. Was it a parable? Well, surely that's not. I mean, they never understood it. Right before the first time, so right before this, this is the first time. Right before this, in chapter 8, Jesus heals a blind man so he can see again. Right after the third time, Jesus heals a blind man so he can see again. Here's what Mark wants you to do. Can you see? Can you see what's going on? Can you see? The disciples don't see. Blind, blind, they miss it. They don't see. And he's asking you, do you have eyes to see what is happening here? if you choose to follow Jesus. So G- Peter rebukes him. Note to self, don't rebuke Jesus, right? So here's, what, here's what Peter, here's how Jesus responds to him in verse 32 and 33. Jesus rebukes Peter right back and he says, get behind me. What's he say? Now hold on for a second. Did Jesus just call somebody Satan? I mean, I just want to think about that for a second. Dimitri, have you ever called somebody Satan before? Well, not today, right? <laughs> 
Have you ever called somebody Satan? I mean, maybe you said, oh, well, speak of the devil or something like that, you know, but have you ever looked somebody in the eye and called them Satan? Okay, thank good. (laughs) That's good. This is pretty serious. Jesus just called one of his closest followers Satan. I just got to pause here for a second and just soak that in. What on earth did he say that deserved that kind of reaction? Here's what I think is happening. I think that Jesus is pushing back against this philosophy, against this assumption that following Jesus means, oh, he fixes everything. Following Jesus means, oh, he takes the pain away. Following Jesus means my best life, and, and I, he, it's a life of comfort and ease. I think that Jesus is equating that kind of thought with, with Satan, that that level of thinking, that following Jesus is comfortable and easy, that's it's borderline satanic to think that. I can't think of why else he would call him Satan. This does not gel. This is not the way of Jesus, of comfort and ease. I'm not saying, uh, you know, you should go looking for suffering, but, but if you follow Jesus, this, this will happen. You should not assume that your life will be like walking down the streets of Sesame Street, right? Jesus speaks in no uncertain terms that following him means suffering. And he's going to give us a choice. We can either suffer now in his name and have glory later, be glorified with him. Or we can live a life of comfort now. But then in the last verse we're going to see, we will be ashamed in his presence. I feel like we need to lighten the mood a little bit. So I have a nice picture for you. How would you like a nice picture? And the picture has meaning. Here's a picture of a boy and a marshmallow. So I wonder how many of you have seen, have heard of this experiment called the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. How many of you have heard of this story, the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment? Okay, a couple hands, a couple over here. Okay, several over here. So several of you have heard of this experiment. Um, I forgot the year, I didn't write it down, but there was someone who wanted to experiment and see if preschool-age children, if children around the year of age of four could understand the idea of delayed gratification. Sometimes I'm not sure I understand the concept of delayed gratification. He wanted to see if four-year-olds would understand it. So here's what he did. He would take four-year-olds, he would set up a camera and stuff and have people, you know, working with him. But he would go alone into a room with a four-year-old and set him down. And he would place a marshmallow in front of them. And here's how the test would go. He would tell the kids, hey, here's a marshmallow. Now, you can have the marshmallow if you like. I have to step out of the room for a second. But if the marshmallow is still there when I get back, I'll give you a second marshmallow. Now, you can have it now, and that's all that you get. But if you can hold on for just a couple minutes, i got to step out. And when I come back, if the marshmallow is still there, you get a second marshmallow. If you have a chance, look it up on YouTube. It's the cutest thing. These kids are, like one kid like goes poking it and sniffing at it. And, and there's, there's this one girl who puts her hands over her ears and starts singing to herself, you know, just don't think about the marshmallow. There's one kid, before he can even exit the room, you know, he pops in, he just can't stand it, right? The guy says, I didn't even leave the room. I mean, these kids just can't. I got to have the marshmallow. I can't, most of the kids fail the test. I, I can't wait for the second marshmallow. Here's, here's, here's what Jesus is offering us. Hershey Free, I, Jesus spoke plainly. So look, let me just take a minute and speak plainly. If, if, if you want to be a believer in Jesus, and if you want to live a life of comfort and ease, you can have your marshmallow, you can do that. If you want to, if you want to show, if you want to show up to worship with your church once a month, once a quarter, just Easter, you know, whatever you want, you can do that. You can come whenever you want or not come whenever you want. All right, you can be involved in a community of faith or not. It, whatever, whatever you want, you you can you can study and apply the Bible to your life or or not. Whatever you want, 
Every 10 years when the census comes out and you fill out the thing from, you know, census.gov, check the Christian box. You can check whatever box you want, whatever you want. Jesus died an excruciating, shameful death on a splintery cross to vicariously pay the penalty for your sin so that you do not have to suffer in eternity and you can live in heaven. And that price, your, the penalty for your sin has been paid. If you want to live the rest of your life in comfort and ease, you can have your marshmallow. But mark my words, you will stare into the eyes of Jesus ashamed of yourself if you choose that. There's another option. If you want to live a life of full-fledged, all-in faith, If you want to live a life where you are transformed into the image of Jesus by the principles of this book, if you want to live a life where you are hearing from the Holy Spirit, guided and commanded in a life guided by the Holy Spirit, if you want to live a life in full devoted service to God our Father, you're going to get way more than a second marshmallow. And if you can endure whatever comes to your life because you follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit for this little blip of time, the rest of eternity, you will not be ashamed in His presence. You will be glorified as Jesus is glorified. But the option is yours. You can suffer now and experience glory later, or you can live a life of comfort now and be ashamed in his presence on one day. Here's Here's how Jesus explains to do that. Verse 34, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, look at this, he calls the, he calls the crowd to tell him this. Whenever the crowd starts getting too big, Jesus decides to thin it out. Where are all these people coming from? You guys must not understand what's going on. Why do you think we're going to Jerusalem? I'm not taking a throne there. (laughs) What do you think we're doing? I, I, I need to clear this up. And he thins the crowds. This is what he says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What a terribly unpopular thing to say. What on earth is he thinking? You got the crowd in your hands. Why would you say this? Deny myself? Why would I deny myself? Now, it's easy to think of this as deprive myself. You know, I have a lot of money, so I should give it all away or something, or I should, I should seek a life that is, is uncomfortable. That's, that, maybe that's part of it, but that's, that's not the heart of what he's saying. This word deny is always used in the sense of denying a person. I'm renouncing a relationship. I'm rejecting another person. He's asking you to reject the person of yourself. Okay, and, and I, need, I know I need to explain that a little better. So this word is also used again with Peter later on the story. We keep picking on Peter. Poor guy. He comes out in the end, all right? He does good in the end. So Peter is following Jesus as he is on trial. The soldiers come and take him. They're about to, to lead him into trial and crucify him. Jesus, or sorry, Peter follows along behind. And someone comes up to him and says, hey, you, you were with him, right? You, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter starts doing the math. If I identify with Jesus, I might come to the same fate as him. No, 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 no. I, I, I probably, I, I look like a lot of people. I get that a lot. I'm, you must have me confused with someone. He, he denies, he distances himself. It's the same word. He denies, he renounces that relationship with Jesus that he had before he was asked. Jesus is asking us to renounce this relationship with ourselves, to reject this person of ourselves, to disown the idea that I am the author of my own destiny. He wants me to reject the notion that my happiness is the greatest good. He wants me to distance myself from the idea that I do what I want. I'm my own king, and my happiness is of utmost importance. He wants me to deny myself that way of thinking. And then he says, take up your cross. I know that we have crosses, a decoration. You probably have necklaces with crosses, and that's fine. If you have, that's fine. But in this world, when Jesus said this, in this context, people didn't have crosses for decoration. Crosses meant death. He's calling for something to die. He's calling for me to die to myself. 
What an unpopular thing to say. (laughs) Especially today, we live in a society where nothing is absolutely wrong. It's just wrong for you, right? If you say that all religions are wrong, no, 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 no. They're just wrong for you. We, We live in a society right now where I define my own identity. However, it doesn't matter what my body looks like. I can choose to be whatever pronoun or whatever I want, I can choose my own identity for myself. I'm, I'm not leaving my wife and abandoning my family. I'm living my authentic self. This is, this is who I'm meant to be. This is, this is who I am. And if you disagree with me, this is not a difference of opinion. You have oppressed me. You are repressing me. This is, this is discrimination in some way because you disagree with who I think I am. I mean, this is how we talk today, and it's against the way of Jesus. It's anti-Jesus. Because the way of Jesus is one of self-denial, rejecting the notion that I am the ultimate authority of my life, rejecting the notion that, uh, th- th- that I can choose my own way. I bear my cross. I put to death my will so that I can live in God's will. The way of Jesus is suffer now and be glorified forever with him in eternity. It's a much better preferred future. But the choice is yours. Suffer now, glory later, or comfort now, shame later. Here's how he words that in verse 37. For what can a man give in exchange for their soul? Good question. If anyone is ashamed of me and of my words in this, in this generation, in this life, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory, Father's glory with the holy angels. And the choice is yours. You can live a nominally Christian lifestyle, and that's okay. But there's a much better way. You can also live a fully devoted life of service to Jesus, but it won't be all fun and games. Suffer now, glory later, or comfort now, and shame later. As we wrap up this service, I want to do something that, I want to do something with you and with those of you watching online, if you're sitting on your couch or whatever the case may be. That's, it's, it's not typical. In fact, uh, before today, I've never asked a congregation to do this with me, but rest assured, the first service, the second service, they did it with me, and it was okay, but I want you to know that you do not have, you do not have to do this, okay? Now you're all wondering, what on earth is he going to do? I'm, I'm going to ask you, if, if you're comfortable with it, if, if you're physically able to, if, if you want to, you do not have to do this, but I'm going to ask you to kneel on your knees. I know it's, like, we're Protestant, we don't do that, right? But, but here's why I wanted to ask you to do this, and so if, if you want to participate, if you want to kneel with me, you can kneel in your pew and you can face the other way. You can kneel with the, the pew in front of you, however you want to do this, if, if you want to participate. I'm going to ask you that if you'd like to do this with me, you can get on your knees. And here's why I say this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was out of town and I visited an Episcopal church. And in, in the Episcopal faith, they are more liturgical than we are, okay? So we're, we're Protestant. Like, we sit and you talk to us, and that's, you know, we don't really talk back. But, but in the Episcopal Church, you're, you're always, you're communicating back to the speaker, and you're kneeling, and you're standing. At one point, we, you know, communion didn't come to us. We got up out of our chairs and went to the front for communion, and we went up, and someone did an ash service, and they dipped their fingers in ashes. Like, my, my body and my voice, and I, I was participating in the service. So it was, it was kind of interesting in that way. But at one point, we had these worship guides that we were handed as we walked in, and, and we had to kneel, go up and down several times. And at one point, I was kneeling, and we were reading this really long passage of Scripture from Romans, right? It was super long, and we were read, reading it slowly. And the longer I read it, the, more I, the less I was thinking about the passage, and the more I was thinking about how badly my knees were hurting, <laughs> right? And some of you are sitting here going, why couldn't he have explained all this while I was sitting in my padded seat? Why did he have to wait? Here, here's why. I just thought it would be appropriate for us this is the third time I'm doing this, by the way. And you got carpet. I got, you can't even hear, it's not even hollow in there, you know. I just thought it might be interesting 
if we could experience something besides a cushioned seat. (laughs) Call me crazy. I thought it'd be nice if we could experience just a small ounce of discomfort. And some of you are in the pew and the pews and you're like, should I lean over the top or should I, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable. And I just thought it might be interesting for us to be uncomfortable for a minute. And since you all want me to stop talking, let me pray. But maybe this experience, this, this sensation in your knees will stick with you. Let me pray. Father God, I want to pray that you would give all of us eyes to see and ears to hear. Would you give us eyes to see what it means to live a life fully devoted to serving your son Jesus Christ and being prompted and guided by your Holy Spirit? And Father, would you give us patience? Would we grow in our endurance? Would we grow in our stamina? And will we also grow in our ability to be more transformed and conformed into the image of Jesus Christ so that we are like him? And would you give us the endurance we need to do this until the end when we are with you and we have no more pain and sorrow and suffering again? We pray this to you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, here we go. Some of you were like, give me a break. Your little 30-year-old knees up there. (laughs) I remember when I was in my 30s, right? Hey, thanks for doing that with me. And thank you for those of you that are watching online that, you know, you left your couch. I talked to somebody the other day. She she said, yeah, I like to sit in my hot tub and watch the service. Oh, that's it. It wasn't anybody here. It was nobody here. It was nobody here. Somebody in North Carolina. So, and they're, they're not watching, so that's okay. Um, as, you, as you leave, just a, just a couple of quick announcements. As, as you leave, if you'd like to pray with someone at the end of each service, prayer is an important part of our rhythm here. So we're going to have members of our prayer team. In fact, if you're on the prayer team, you can go ahead and come forward and be ready to meet with people, talk with people if they'd like to pray with you. So you can pray with someone on our prayer team as you leave today. Uh, one more thing, if um, maybe it's because COVID is, is starting to lessen and the concerns there are lessening, or maybe, maybe there's something about the message where you said, I, I, I want to get more plugged in and involved in our church and, and develop more relationships here and become more plugged in. If, if, if that's you, um, next week we have starter group night. We are going to be launching new small groups. So a couple, was it August or not recently that you guys came and joined a small group? So we're going to be starting new small groups if you'd like to join us for that. You can find out more on hfcinfo.com. And then lastly, let me just remind you that I would not like to dismiss you. I would like to send you, all right? You are not being dismissed, but you are being sent. Sent to reject the notion that you are the ultimate authority of your life. Sent to put to death your own will so that you can live under God's will. And you are being sent to choose suffering now so that you can experience glory later. So Hershey Free, you are not dismissed. You are sent. Thank you.